founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Gavin Wegner, the senior brand manager of Slick Spirited Ice. Receiving his business administration from the Marshall School of Business at the University of Southern California, Gavin began his career at the GelCert Company. While working at the GelCert Company, Gavin held many roles from finance and brand management all the way to licensing. But most of his professional experience is in the marketing iconic freezer bar brands such as Flavor Ice and Otter Pops. Gavin is turning Slick into a disruptive newcomer in the alcoholic freezer bar category. He develops and implements brand strategies and creates the roadmap for short and long-term growth and expansion. His passion for brand storytelling is apparent via Slick's multifaceted and layered marketing initiatives that resonate with the brand's 21-plus consumers. And while Gavin resides in Chicago, he spends most of his year traveling for both work and pleasure. But today, he's here to share all of his experience and knowledge. So, Gavin, my friend, thank you for being here. No, thank you, too, for having me. It's, it's a pleasure, and I'm stoked to be on and, and to chat with you today. Awesome, man. Well, we took our stab at kind of getting to know you and your context a little bit. But uh, in your own words, how did you get into all of this? Um, yeah, so my my path is a bit um, untraditional, not traditional, rather, compared to compared to others. So, um, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I uh, I worked previously at the Gelser company. Um, now, who is Gelser? Gelser is a 90, as of this year, 96-year-old privately held business um, based in Chicago, uh, one of the largest privately held businesses in Chicago. And uh, it not only happens to be a, my own profession, um, or rather was previously, but um, in fact, it is uh, uh, my family business, or rather a business that my family has, had created. So um, in 1926, my great-grandfather started a company called GelCert, um, as it still remains today. And uh, why GelCert? Why the name? Well, he was working at Cracker Jack at the time and uh, was playing around with marshmallows and thought at that time Jello had just came out and thought that he could create a kind of a more staple, uh, like every person, right, um, uh, gelatin product. So uh, mixed together the words gelatin and dessert to get gel cert. And that was the first item that launched um, for the product, for the company. And uh, over the past 96 years, the company's really been a lot of different um, categories played in over the years, but pretty, very much known for uh, isotonic freezer, um, excuse me, um, shelf-stable freezer pops. So brands such as, again, Otter Pops, Flavor Ice, Cool Pops, Pop Ice. Uh, depending on where you grew up in the country, certainly familiar, I'm sure, with these brands from, from a um, uh, younger year. And then uh, drink mixes, so powder drink mixes for water modification, in addition to uh, dessert mixes, so like gel cert, back in the day, but with new brands, um, both in powdered uh, gelatins and puddings. Um, so after school, right, I, I kind of was uh, trying to understand what path I wanted to go down, but I've always been very involved with the business, at least, you know, working through with my dad, going on trips as a kid, I'm really trying to understand it. And, you know, the more and more even through school and my ability to, to kind of take a lot of uh, rather, you know, procure my business degree, especially with um, an emphasis on a lot of entrepreneurship classes that I had, I wanted to make my market in the business. And at front at first, right, that's what led to me working um, at the company post-school. Now I'm wearing multiple, within multiple different roles, right? Um, finance, our financial analyst and um, associate brand manager and uh, licensing uh, coordinator, et cetera, 
uh, with different divisions of the business. Um, and that's parlayed into now, you know, an opportunity to be able to spearhead a new brand, a new division of a rather new subsidiary of the business. Um, and so that's been uh, kind of the whirlwind of my last two years uh, since uh, spearheading the launch of Slick under the umbrella of the business. Was it always a given for you that you wanted to work, you knew you wanted to work with the family business or was that up in the air for a period? Yeah, I mean, it, it was up in the air. I mean, look, I, I was one of those people, admittedly, right? I, I knew because I grew up in a family business that I wanted to major, you know, be a major in business and I wanted to, you know, get involved. There was things that, you know, even as a kid, right? Um, I just had always had that kind of penchant uh, to be able to um, get and be, be a businessman, rather, if you will, like, you know, simply. So, uh, but I wanted to uh, help, you know, however I could. And it was something that there was just the right role for me to enter into the space or rather into the into the company. And I think that was just the right time, right fit uh, for me to do so. And so that led to, um, you know, my first role there that parlayed to another one and opened up at the right time, right place. And, you know, uh, the past many years now have, have, have flown by being able to uh, really get that experience and, and uh, you know, allow feel like I'm working right more than for more than just a profession, right? It is ultimately something that, that supports not only the existing family that we have, but, you know, future generations, or at least my, the way I perceive it, right. Um, uh, for years to come. So. And it's pretty wild that that thing was started at or right before the great depression and is still here. And yeah. that's just it one is. of the many ups and downs and markets it's had to go through. Yeah. I mean, and that's what, you know, it comes down to is, is, is the fact that there have been a lot of ups and downs, but the company, what's always amazed me about this business um, is that it's always, it's always, uh, you know, realized that it's innovator die, right? It's always becoming, not becoming stale with offerings, not just banking on what we have as an iconic, you know, iconic brands kind of puffing our chests out and saying, this is what we offer. It's getting into new types of functionality within the categories we have, you know, mm. licensing, bringing in new brands to the space to generate excitement for the category, working with, major partners such as Coca-Cola or Mars Wrigley, uh, the Hershey company, right. In order to bring their brands into this space, um, and sell them on their behalf. Um, and of course now with a new division of this business that, you know, I've been uh, fortunate and blessed to be entrusted with and spearheading, um, you know, the first alcohol ventures of this, of the company. And, um, it's just always something that, you know, I've been always amazed by the tenacity of, of those that have been in charge, both my family in addition to upper management and, Really, their um, their constant uh, drive and 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 uh, lack of of ever being competent with you know what they have, and they've been with first to market, right? Certainly, great brands that, that they could continue to kind of bank on, but it was always like, what's next? What are our next pillar growths uh, going to be? It's always been the case for nearly 100 years now. Man, that's inspiring because I feel like there's a tendency when you get successful in anything to go from the courage to innovate. To all of a sudden feeling the need to protect right yeah. and you yeah. get kind of like oh man like I, now i'm thinking how do i not lose this and you think of the blockbusters and you think of the kodaks and the the things that thought that they could just stay the same and, and last forever and your family and you have considered continued to last it sounds like because you embraced that constant innovation versus that kind of need to just stay the same and protect is that is that right yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been, you know, it's, it's a, it's a delicate balance at times because you don't ever want to, you know, prior, you don't want to necessarily deprioritize what's been working, right? If it ain't, if it ain't broken type of uh, approach or mentality. 
But at the same time, I mean, there is, you know, constant, especially over the past 10 to 20 years, right? The consumer tastes, I mean, literally and figuratively, right? And the demands are, are just uh, something that have been very much, um, you know, ever changing. And so with that, right, it's kind of, again, adapt or die. And and uh, that's come, you know, a lot. And luckily, we've been fortunate that a lot of the trends that we've been able to tap into um, and have products that, you know, we've been innovating within, let's say, uh, you know, stick packs with powder drink mixes and water, um, right, with bottled water becoming such a, uh, the number one drink in America, right, and on the go and convenience being the top trend across any category, um, right, we fit right into that. We're able to, again, continue to innovate with our own brands and licensing to deliver top flavor profiles in addition to kind of, um, you know, best uh, functional um, items within that space. So uh, we were fortunate a bit too that what we were tapping into um, ended up becoming, you know, skyrocketing in growth and, 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 and trend. But at the same time, even when it wasn't, we were taking a look at kind of stale categories, if you will, and not stale, but rather ones that had uh, been static like freezer pops and creating, you know, new and, and exciting ones. For example, even this past year, two years ago with the launch of a, um, a isotonic freezer pop in conjunction with Powerade, right? Uh, hydration-based, um, you know, pop that allows you to cool off while at the same time hydrate, um, kind of first first to market in that. So, yeah, but it's a bit of a balance, right? Because you don't ever want to still stray too far away from what your core is and what your, you know, that core consumer base that you keep building upon generation after generation. Absolutely. Yeah, it feels like it's a tension that has to be held well, right? Yeah, no doubt about so that. So for you, for you getting to be kind of at the, at the head of spearheading uh, this new division, this new brand, uh, and a new market, really. What's that been like to, to kind of launch and scale that, that company with Slick? Yeah. What has it been like? Um, I mean, do we have longer than, you know, an hour or right now to go through all? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's been a, it's been a journey. I mean, that's what, you know, every entrepreneur can say. Um, when this opportunity came to fruition, right. I mean, six years ago, the Alphabet category was flipped on its head. Um, you know, when Truly and, and, and White Claw launched and, you know, your traditional beers, your traditional liquids, um, you know, bottled liquids, et cetera, uh, but not with, with products that were now in cans, um, you know, of, of flavored club soda, if you will, right? That's what seltzer pretty much is. Um, and then now everything from canned espressos to ready-to-eat gelatin shots, you know, everything in between that's been commercialized. Um, but really that, that impetus, or rather that initial um, event six years ago happened that's when we began to really start to monitor, right, this, this category. It had always been something that we wanted to get into, but at the same time, um, you know, it was, it was nothing that we had thought that was the right, you know, opportunity as of yet. But when this category really happened, that was when we began to kind of put a, we actually put a task force together, like a committee that I was able to, to um, serve on and, and really was evaluating what our, what we were going to do within the space. And that was many years ago. And so, um, so kind of when the stars fully align and we said, look, we're going to make this investment the family, had, you know, approved of it and we were going to move forward. Um, I just knew in my heart of heart, even though it wasn't an easy decision because I was comfortable with what I was doing right within the zone, but I knew in a heartbeat, right. This was the right decision for me to do and to be able to create, um, this brand under the umbrella of this new subsidiary, right. Um, and spearhead that from, you know, the design of packaging down to the, you know, the formulation and then upwards of now everything with brand building. But, um, you know, it was something that um, we were kind of, I was on my own and uh, employee number one, if you will, of, of this new subsidiary of the business. So um, ever since then, though, we've hired, you know, two new people and we've been able to, um, you know, gain distribution in 25 states nationally. I mean, I don't need to go through all the accolades per se at the moment, but 
at the same time, right? It's been it's been a um, it's been a wild ride, and it's been a wild ride, especially for all those out there that have have started a business through COVID. You can relate, right? That it's been you know when you have to launch something in a period of time when when uh, you know it's, the world is flipped upside down, not just the outbed category, as I noted. Um, you know, a lot of pivoting had to be done. In fact, we were supposed to launch technically in 2020, but that ended up being right up. Um, a bit of a upswing when COVID hit. Um, so we had to pivot a bit, soft launch, and then do a full launch this past year. So um, but that's the name of the game with everyone out there, right, that had, had tried to start a business during this time frame. Yeah. Well, well tell me this. Uh, you know, for me, the business side of what I get to do is more new in the last six or seven years. What I have the most experience in and still doing now in a business context is working with people. Understanding people, understanding their growth, where they get hung up. And what I've found is that the, the pull to stay in your comfort zone is just naturally very high in people. It's, it's a protective measure that I think our brain kind of puts in us, even though it hurts us sometimes more than helps us. But it's just a very high gravity to stay in our comfort zone. And so you were presented an opportunity to take a risk and kind of go out and be a part of establishing a new brand or stay maybe in a comfort zone uh, type situation what compelled you to get out of that comfort zone? Yeah. I mean, again, it was the, it was the ability. I've always had the, uh, a, I've always had the drive to be able to start something on my own. Right. And I know again, that sounds maybe counterintuitive then as to why I joined my family business, but I, I always had the long-term goal though of still being able to carve out my own path. Right. Again, entrepreneurship has many different um, paths you can go down. One is just starting a business from scratch on your own, right. And seeking outside funding. One is taking an existing business and creating your own, you know, um, putting your own spin on it. You can do that as any, you know, if you're a new CMO coming into the, coming into the game, I believe that's, you know, full, that's an entrepreneur, right. That creates new campaigns, that creates new innovation, right. They are reinventing, um, you know, on, um, something that may have the bricks and the base have already been laid, but regardless. So that's really where I had, um, kind of that drive. And this was something that, right. Excited me. I mean, outbed is an exciting category. Um, this was, it's an emerging space. I mean, this this ready to freeze subset of ready to drink, if you will, that is something that had not been tapped into really. I mean, there were a few brands admittedly that were in the space before we did, but um, I saw our positioning too as being an authentic cocktail that was, you know, that instead of taking out your blender to make a margarita to make a daiquiri, um, you know, the other brands with all the respects to them at the time were very much focused on just, you know, capturing the novelty of throwing booze into a popsicle, if you will. Um, but we wanted to make sure similar again, your the canned cocktail you get that's you know that that um, uh, that you know vodka soda in a can or ranch water um, that's prepared ready to go. We wanted to do capture exactly that in a frozen in a frozen format. So again, frozen daiquiris, margaritas, whiskey highballs, vodka slushies, etc. So that too really excited me because I knew exactly our positioning was was there and and um, you know I think the opportunity to be a part of a space like this, the opportunity to be to, to capitalize on a position like that. And then again, just the ability to be able to carve out, you know, my own legacy, if you will, with the family business at such a young age was, was super exciting. Now you mentioned the, the, I mentioned all the pros. Now the cons of that, what's unique about this, right. Is that the investment dollars that are funneled in this are not necessarily outside dollars, which again, are, are, uh, you know, stressful in order to manage it came with the territory then of, okay, we're going to invest in, in you, Gavin, as a family, right. To be able to, to build this brand up. And that was scary. It remains scary, right? Um, you know, these are, yeah. these are massive investments being made both in infrastructure and marketing and, um, and tools to be able to make this brand a success. And, and, you know, with that power or rather with the power, right, comes the great responsibility and the manage, 
management. Shout out Spider-Man, right, of being able to to, uh, to, to handle those dollars. And so, um, but, you know, I, I feel like I thrive, though, in my ability to be able to, you know, independently um, take, the, take the money and be able to be very strategic and tactical. I mean, um, and, you know, the experience that I've been able to have previous to, the, to my job, both, you know, everything from when I was a kid upwards of now, right, it kind of, I feel like, set me up for this for this role. And, um, you know, we're now in a position where it's certainly more turnkey and I feel more confident than, you know, up front, but that's the scariness of launching anything, right? Is that you have an idea, you have a, that, but then you got to, you know, make it work. And I had to make it work with the dollars we had up front. And as we continue to grow, it's, it's only been something that, you know, the family has continued to reinvest in, which is, which has been great to see. How do you, how do you handle that pressure and not let it paralyze you? Right. Where, <laughs> You're thinking, oh man, the family just put capital behind this, and you know, obviously, you want to do well by it, and you know, make it a good investment. But that that pressure can paralyze people at points. Yeah, um, I mean, again, in this parallel pass with with anything, I mean, again, it's getting investment from anyone, right? Whether it is your own family members um, or it is outside, you know, funding. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I don't. I say not to focus on it, right? If you focus on it, where every decision that you made and every penny you spend, you're thinking about where it's coming from and making sure it delivers the best ROI, right? You'll never, you're going to paralyze yourself within the first day of doing that, right? So have confidence in yourself and have confidence that maybe not every single thing you do will work. I mean, that's the, you know, upfront, what has someone expects perfection, right? As an outside investor, then maybe you're with the wrong folks or investment in general, because you know, there's always going to be trials and tribulations that come right off the bat and not every dollar may be maximized to its extent. Um, so, you know, I think that's a big part of it. And second, that too, is just ensuring that, you know, that, that I not only not to focus on it, but, um, you know, that I, I continue to, um, allow myself to find activities or, or ways to be able to, um, balance, I think myself out and make sure that, you know, whether that is running or different activities to, um, blow off that steam because when I'm in the moment and I'm in the heat, like I, I remain in the heat, but then I try to find ways that I can, you know, uh, ensure that um, I balance myself out. Cause I, I do have friends that went on similar paths like this, took outside investment, just burn themselves out real fast, yeah. real quickly. And, you know, that was because they were so stressed about the situations they were in and they worked, you know, uh, you know, lighting the candles all hours of the night type of thing. And that's something that I learned from them is try to avoid that. And so, um, albeit right, the hours are long and the, and the grind is there. Um, it's still something that, you know, I want to make sure I kind of call it like, um, you know, the long-term battery can be recharged on vacations, I guess, but at least like an iPhone, right. To recharge at least to close to hundred percent every night you can. Um, so I always take that time to do it. And like, again, not focusing on it and allowing myself that recharge. It just helps on a day-to-day -day basis without thinking too far ahead or getting too stressed about what the long-term future would hold. Yeah, man. I want to actually talk about that for a little bit because it is the single greatest challenge I've seen founders, entrepreneurs, and it's not just specialized to them, but I think it's heightened sometimes uh, on those people's shoulders with the responsibility as well as often you're navigating unknowns and new for the first time. But burnout is just a real issue. You know, on this podcast alone, I had so many people tell me, I had one guy say, man, in my 30s, I started to go blind. And he went to his doctor thinking something genetic was happening and he found out it was all stress related. And when he started to work with his stress levels and that kind of thing, uh, his sight came back and he was like, it was a huge wake up call for, you know, me not doing this appropriately. And so, 
uh, I just love when we can having having a conversation around it because, like you said, we often put it to vacation, and we say, I, "If I can just make it to vacation," and it's like it's too little, too late. Yeah, that's it's like saying I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, you're like, no, you need to sleep daily. You know, mm-hmm. um, so what does it look like? Is my first question for you right now because it looks different for everybody. Sometimes it's more physical in nature. I think it's always got a combination of some kind of physical. Sometimes it's relational. And then second is how do you protect it, right? When we're so busy and there's so many demands coming in where you could, if you, if you let yourself work all hours of the day, how do you protect it? Yeah. So physical I'll start with, because that's important to me for sure. I, you know, I was an athlete back in the day, if you want to call it that, right? So um, being, being uh, active with sports, especially like in high school, right? Where I think a lot of our, uh, our work ethics are molded, you know, during that core timeframe of our respective growth as a, for people, but let alone just with increased schoolwork and things. So that ability or rather the seeing the fruits that came out of the forced, you know, practices after school, no matter how tired you were, et cetera. Like I saw, I was able to create case studies as to what that made me feel like. Right. So blowing that, I mean, quite literally, right. Uh, deleting stress from the body. Um, at the same time though, being able to clear your head. Um, I mean, that was really important to me. And, and, um, so even going to college, right. When your schedule opens wide up and you kind of let, lose that routine and um, college. And then now certainly for many years beyond that's working out has always remained, you know, part of, part of my routine just because, and I made time for it, even if it's 30 minutes, right. Even if it's going for a walk, it doesn't always have to put the high pressure on. Um, sometimes I think we've all been through this, right. We're like, we need to go on that yep. hour long Peloton ride, right. We have to push through that and things, but no, at the end of the day, it doesn't yep. have to be the most strenuous activity. So every day I, I make sure to carve out time, right? Again, if it is just simply as a walk, if I'm just beat, or if it is like, you know, a more strenuous run or 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 a physical activity, because again, it, it truly cleanses me, I think, right? It's all as it does for all of us. But then at the same time, right, it allows me, especially like I run, I live right near Lake Michigan, let's say. So when the weather's nice here in the, in the warm time, I'll run on the I'll run on the lake path and then I'll stop and I'll be able to post run like go for a little bit of cool down and I'll just sit and I'll sit and I'll just, you know, enjoy the beautiful city that I live in. But at the same time that as right, all, all individuals that are launching their own business, right. That's always something on the mind. You're thinking about an Instagram post upwards of your next, you know, sales meeting you got. And so um, the cleaner, cleanest of thoughts come through, I feel like at that time and that clarity outside of the, you know, ability to be here. It's like putting myself in that position not just of the ex- exercise itself, but putting yourself outside in a kind of a warm and fuzzy spot, um, you know, and, and try to find that, right? If it is a local park near you or something like that. And I go, again, speaking of Chicago, I may not always be warm, literally, but at the same time, right? Like somewhere that you can at least go to do to escape and not being a vacation, as you said, right? You need to find your little escape within uh, where you find yourself on a more permanent you know, basis. Um, so, I feel like that for sure um, on the physical front, right, is something that I, I just have always clung to and will continue to integrate my routine. Um, second, though, it's a bit, bit of interesting. I was thinking about what I was going to, if I was going to mention this candidly or not, but it's a new activity that I've taken up. And I'm not, not something I haven't talked a lot about, but um, I think finding something that is non-physical, like some therapeutic activity to pick up. Now, that could be anything from like when I was a kid, admittedly, I did like scrapbooking or anything like that. Um, I actually, I like putting on mindless TV and I color, I actually take a coloring book and I sit there and yeah. I, I color. And that's something that I never would have imagined. My mom got me into it. Uh, she was the one who kind of, you know, did it. And that's something that, 
you know, it sounds maybe, I don't know, it doesn't sound childish per se, but it's something that I didn't imagine I would get into. But yeah. it's not something that I just sit there and like just the way that the mind functions in that moment, right? You can only focus on two, one thing at once. So if you're focused on that coloring, you're allowing, you're forcing your body to be able to relax. It's not putting on TV. It's not going for a run where you're putting stress on your body. So obviously, you know, people jump into reading of things and coloring just was something I naturally picked up last year, you know, as I kind of started to try to find ways to force myself to relax and to uh, as well take focus off of what was going on. So I, I highly advise, right, is trying to find some sort of non, um, like create a laborious activity like that, that would, that would be, uh, you know, a decompression. And then when it comes to just timing in general, though, like I always close myself out. Like I always make sure at the end of night, even if it's a late night work or anything like that, if it's losing, you know, maybe a little bit of a sleep, like I need to have decompression at the end of the night. Right. And if that is, that, that does include coloring, that does include doing like nighttime yoga or something like it is something that I value that time um, because then it allows more quality sleep um, mm-hmm. and versus it being something like you close your laptop, right. And you're still thinking of that last thing that you were just doing or, or whatever it was um, that transition period of time. Um, is, is critical. So I, I make sure I, I slot that in the schedule, right? Maybe not formally, but at the very least, right? It's part of my routine now. And so um, those two activities, I mean, in addition to plethora of others, right? To, um, to, to not fully burn out, but also just that, that top, that back end, um, you know, ability, decompression, transition time, whatever you want to label it as, is, is something that I, uh, you know, has been, has helped me today, has allowed me to stay afloat, right? Through, uh, absolutely. It's like, man. I'm so glad you shared that. I mean, so we stumbled on that. We haven't been as ritualistic about it, but I have three young kids and you know, they're into coloring and they're into Legos. So my son's into Legos and he colors some as well. But my, my daughters are into to coloring and they like when dad plays with them about all things. And my wife and I have remarked several times, this is actually addicting. Like when we're yeah. sitting there coloring with them because of, like you said, how focused you get and you, it's like, your brain starts to relax and even Legos. Like the other day I was really stressed out and it was a weekend and my kids were wanting to play all the time and I was tired and stressed out. I went on Amazon and one day delivered uh, two different Lego sets. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hey buddy, we got some Legos. And my wife's like, do you order that for him or for you? I was like, both. <laughs> and so we just had a few hours of putting Legos together. And I was like, this is so calming to my mind. Yeah. I mean, I think as we get older, right. It's like, you think you want to try to find adults, adult activities or what you deem to be adult activities, right. Of, of trying to relax. But uh, at the end of the day, like, I mean, coloring or Legos, right. You think of it as being childhood activities, but there's a reason when you're a kid, you do it because it allows you to, you know, escape um, in that moment. And I think as an adult, we lose the sight, right. Maybe we go to Disney world and we feel like you can, you know, escape adultism, if you will, but this, the same theory holds, right. No matter how old we are, we're still the same people inside. And so, that kind of clicked for me when I got into this. And again, I'm no Van Gogh by any means. Um, right. But at the same time, um, you know, I was able to find an activity that, you know, I, I do now on a regular basis that, you know, I, I at times it, it just completely allows me to zone out and focus on something different when, you know, my focus for 90 plus percent of my time, otherwise, right. is on work and I need to be able to have that space and, and activity for my own self. So, Well, man, this has been fascinating on the on the energy side. Like I said, we can't stress this enough, the importance of finding what works for you. The physical element, 
even the mental element of it, you know, for, for performance, not just for today, but for the long term, right? And that's been so important, but I want to make sure that I capture this element that I have where I can get some advice from you for our listeners, which is on the brand side. What do you think right now? Like, tell me how you think about this. When you're creating a brand for the first time, you've got to establish a brand and then you've got to grow a brand. What really is most important to you as you're going about doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the first and foremost, right, we, we got into this category. It's There's a difference between seeing like an opening within a space and then wanting to shove a product into it, right? So like you see, I don't know, a new organic granola bar, right, that with, with X fun functional uh, attributes to it. Um, that you push out there. But to me, again, over the past 20 years, I think, or you know, how the recent evolution of the demands that consumers have had, right? They want to not just buy a product, but they want to almost become friends with it as a human to, you know, if that, if that makes sense, they want to humanize that brand and, and grow a relationship with it. And I think that was what, when we took on Slick, right? We had seen, especially within this category to date, that there were products out there, right? That there were, you know, first markets, but there wasn't anything that was really a brand that, you know, had a voice that had a look, a feel, um, you know, and it's very easy to establish that in today's day and age with, you know, everything from um, social media upwards of you know, showing up in person at experiential events and things, which you know, through COVID was a joy to try to maneuver through, but regardless, um, so that was really our intent, right, as to how to show up and, and build those relationships and also just invoke, though, um, you know, emotion, an emotional connection to the brand, right, something that, um, not just was filling a need state, a need state of like, okay, this is frozen cocktails now without you know the convenience factor of it, um, but also more so just like what what it evokes then in you, like the brand. How does it make you feel? And so you know, it, 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 very admittedly, it was easier to do for this product because at the end of the day, it is a you know when you think of freezer pops, you think of razor scootering around your neighborhood or you know playing basketball in your buddy's backyard or rather front yard and and uh, having a having a pop right after on a hot summer day in August or whatever it is. Um, so that format in and of itself, albeit right, we haven't stressed on the marketing end of just like the fact that we are a adult popsicle per se, but at the same time we have, you know, it's it's inherent with the product format of it being in a pop. Um, so, you know, that is that is part of it. But at the same time, right, we've we've evoked and tapped into still like the fact that we are now frozen coffee. We have the ability now to be able to deliver you, you know, your, uh, what are we, right? We're a, we're a smile on a sunny day and on a, you know, on, on the pier or, or, a, you know, a perfect in, in um, addition to your bachelorette party, right. Of being able to, to be that unique offering or even down to the core of, right. If you're going to a party, like what can you do to be able to stand out from the crowd and bring something that's different than your pack of seltzers or pack of beers? Um, you know, what does that make you feel then kind of being the life of the party if you were to bring a pack of slicks? So, so that really was the approach we took, right? We've been very strategic about it. And we've luckily had, you know, we've had an amazing agency uh, I will shout out Good Conduct here that's been integral to be able to be, to play a part in this um, brand building um, in conjunction with us, both from the visuals that it built up, but also just the campaigns that we built um, to date. And so, you know, I think that's really just important. You got to treat your brand like you are growing. You know, it's a baby that was born, you know, and how are you going to mold it then from being fresh out of the womb in order to make sure it's um, certainly attractive when it's on shelf, but more so as well, just holistically how it's showing up, how it's looking, um, you know, everyone down to who's representing it too, certainly when it comes to ambassadors. And um, so that's the approach we've taken. And yeah, at times it's awesome to do that, right? You can just throw people out there, let's say, that are in demos that are just going to throw 
pops out for people to try because when we trial right we know we, we're very confident that it'll lead to wins but um you know if you kind of take that approach and you start to just lose or cut corners and that's when you know especially at a brand that's so um an infancy right you're going to be able to um that's that's a person's first uh, most likely their first reception or, or interaction with that brand yeah so, you need to treat that like every opportunity is is the first, and so uh, we've been very cautious and, and careful um, of every opportunity that we've had to be able to interface with folks and make sure it's a consistent, attractive, and emotionally kind of riveting, engaging, however you want to call it, um, uh, engagement. Yeah. So it sounds like two things. One is establishing an identity. Like, what is this brand? If it's a person, yeah. Who is it? What's it called? What's it made up of? You know, like. How does, how does it stand out in the market? And then second, it sounds like you're saying understanding the emotional connection that you're hoping it will have with its intended audience. Is that right? Yeah. And then I will say a third just because, and then being consistent with that. So whatever you set up, like, you know, don't waver year after year because your consumers are never going to really know them what you stand for, what that emotional connection is, right? Like be consistent with the way you look and you show up and the more you hammer that home and that's, that, that works on B2B and B2C. Right, like yeah. B2B wise, we, we worked through three, you know, without Bev, right, in three tiers, we had distributors and retailers, right? So we're a new supplier in the minds of both respectively, and we need to be consistent with that message in order to keep, you know, making sure, okay, that's what SUCK stands for, that's who they are. Because um, it doesn't just, that needle doesn't get thread right away. And I think sometimes, right, we're all impatient in today's day and age, um, and we all want kind of instant gratification, we'll pivot as needed in order to try to see you know, keep fitting uh, what we deem to be maybe a square to a round peg, but that square, that peg becomes square eventually. I think yeah. if you, you know, if you're confident enough and you believe that what you're delivering or what you have um, is unique to, let's say a, a retailer, a buyer that's, you know, looking to be able to, to put that product in. Um, it's just about persistency without, without wavering. Yeah. Well, I want to double down on the, uh, the emotional connection for a second, because I'm already thinking for me and my business, like, man, that's something I don't think we've fleshed out really is all right. What's the emotional, you know, connection that we'd want someone to have attached to our brand, our company. And so my question is what levers do you have at your disposal to play with in forming an emotional connection? Like levers, meaning like you could play with the color of the brand and what color, you know, how that makes someone feel because it's this color versus this color or, the font, or you might have the story. Like you said, you named like four different stories. Like, you know, if you can tell a, a compelling story that gets them to remember being a child, you know, feeling free and whatever. And then you tell a story about showing up to the party and they're the one that brought this instead of this. Like those in my mind are different levers, this, you know, the storytelling all the way down to the color design. Like what in your mind, as you're creating a brand, what are the levers you can play with to create an emotional reaction that you're looking for? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we are very proud of the packaging and the visual look and feel and, again, the quality of the product that we deliver. And I think that's something that we're not looking to kind of just keep switching up, right, in order for us to be able to create a uh, visual identity that's consistent and one that's recognizable. Um, the lever, though, that comes back to it, it really does, it, it is focused on storytelling, right? It's what, it's what Slick is, what it represents. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, our current campaign, for example, is all about, um, we'll drink to that. So it's, mm. it's drink with a cube. So, you know, in a period of time that, um, we're very much focused, you know, especially coming out of COVID, it's been a very, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a, I hate to say again, silver lining, right? Because we've said it, I think we've all said it about COVID at times for 
one reason or another. But uh, the one thing that has come out of it, right, is is the ability that um, people are yearning, they're they're hungry, they're craving still, and I think that's been all the more realized this summer, especially throughout it. Um, they want to be able to be together, they want to be able to celebrate, they want to be able to have time together. And Slick is a brand that you know is that's what we're trying to insert ourselves into, right? Those the, every good time occasion that we can um, doesn't have to be warm weather focused, of course, but at the same time, you know, very much driven around those types of outdoor activities. So um, when it comes to like drinking to that, right, we're just cheersing, you know, in a unique way, because you're not really drinking it with a K, but more so drinking with a Q, right? Like that's what we're trying to do and be able to um, have people tell us their stories about how they're, you know, cheersing with, with slicks and, you know, a unique way. Um, throughout this you know year of, of coming back you know into the fold when it comes to all these social occasions or social gatherings so um to me it's really comes down to the storytelling right if you can you can continue to evolve that setting up a consistent though base of look um you know on your website and or rather excuse me across all your respective mediums making sure that's consistent but um, that's the main lever that i enjoy most myself um pulling um and then weaving that into every respective tactic that we do right in order to make sure that it's it shows up across the board in a 360 manner. Yeah. Last question on, on that front. And don't know if this is an easy question or a hard question to answer, but you know, I know I face this, any entrepreneur breaking in for the first time faces this, which is how do I get people to both know my brand and choose my brand when it's the newcomer, right? When the, when the easy thing is to choose the Budweiser or choose the thing that's been there forever that they have history with, how do you get someone to both recognize you like, hey, we're here, and then also take a chance on that versus their comfort zone or the thing they're used to going to? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a loaded question. I don't think there's ever going to be a, you know, a right, solid answer to that. Um, but in our shoot, in our position, I mean, you know, our category has been it's been interesting over the past few years because we have had um, brands or rather companies like ABN that um, get into the space with extensions of brands that they have, you know, that have equity, um, truly got into the space with a pop. Um, uh, Rita's has gotten into the space with a pop. Um, Cutwater has a pop too. And so again, the equity is there with brands like that, that have already had, you know, a, a stakehold. Now, you know, what we again are very confident in why we're, why Slick is because Slick is a frozen cocktail, right? We're not looking to create slick seltzer next year you know we're very hyper focused on this category and where every penny that we invest in is going towards building this up and being a thought leader for retailers as well because retailers don't necessarily know where to merchandise this at times when to sell it how to sell it i mean and we've been doing this for you know over 60 years and i've had much experience myself right being able to do that and go to retailers and we've been able to bring on you know a sales team now that that also has that experience and is educating both the distributors and retailers alike as to how to do that but you know, I mean, it is tough. It's tough when, and we've heard that. I mean, I, it's something that last year going in our, or with RFPs this year, it was like, okay, well, you know, because buyers were so lack behind, it was okay, we're just going to go with like what we know, right? This brand, right. even though it's focused on, you know, as an extension, like the category like we had, they didn't even try our product, right? They may have barely even looked at it. And so, um, but to, to me, it comes down to how we win, right? At least on the B2B front, um, I will say, cause that's the first win, right? You got to get in the door of before you even reach the consumer. It is, um, it's building those relationships, right? I mean, that's to me, you know, I heard it, I've heard it once in call I, my, for the first time when I was in college. And then ever since then, I've, I have a sign of it on my door, but your network, your net worth is your network, yes. right? So yeah. the people you know is really what's going to be able to 
um, allow you. And that's why you take the time. Every email, every cold email you can get, I make sure to respond to because, you know, it is something that you don't know who that person is and you don't know how they may, how you may be able to help them in the future or vice versa. So trying to build those relationships with buyers has not been easy because we, you know, we did not have any, no one knows who 21 Holdings is as a, as our, as, as our subsidiary name, right? As a supplier within this space. Um, so we have to educate them too as to, you know, who we're backed by, but then also at the same time, what Slick is and why it's unique, et cetera. So building those relationships on the B2B front, which we're starting to now start to see that, right? Because again, persistency is key, not over being over persistent, but, you know, finding those, finding those contacts and trying to set up those meetings and cultivating those relationships and putting the people behind because hopefully they realize, or hopefully they think, right? The people behind Slick are, are nice people that are, that are, you know, not touting any BS that are out there speaking the truth about everything that we believe is our, you know, uh, the puzzle that's together to, to create a successful brand and, and the consumer facing front, um, right. It's, it's, you know, you can, we can, we have a strong marketing program that's very much set up in order to, to reach consumers. But I think it's more of just dumping dollars on the marketing. It's making sure it is everything we're doing is very, um, again, the, the, the content that we push out is different. It's unique. It's engaging. Um, it is, I encourage everyone even to check out like what we're doing again, be our website or being social, because I think it's very different than what a majority of brands, the, what they're, what they're doing um, within kind of in order to both attract new customers, but also just, you know, keep uh, folks entertained because at the end yeah. of the day, those types of platforms, they're just an entertainment platform. Right. And so, um, so I think that's a big part of it, but and we've been able to, we've been fortunate to form relationships with major partners too, like a bar stool at a, really maximize, right, the reach that we have and, and kind of woven those stories through, right, companies like that. Um, but on the consumer front, you know, it's just more so, um, you know, continuing to, again, every piece of that story, is, I, I keep having this home, but like making sure that that is in, woven into every bit of our, you know, our multifaceted marketing program that we have. And I think the biggest thing, though, emotionally that I will say, uh, or I'll cap the answer here, is is as much time, especially if you're a consumable product, like, create those like you need to get in front of a person and hand them a physical item right like if that is in store if that is like out and about like i i firmly believe in the power of experiential to the max and we're, we're going to be doubling down an in investment there next year because you know you'll remember that moment then if you're at a seltzer land festival let's say or something like we, where we're showing up you'll remember that slick pop in that moment mm -hmm. you're at 95 degrees daily in new york city and the way that slick pop made you feel when you were with your friend right on a saturday afternoon so it's great to stop you're just laying on your couch, you know, half paying attention to Instagram and you have an ad that kind of makes you maybe chuckle and you scroll past or whatnot. But the power is the greatest, especially for a product like ours, when you can physically put it in someone's hands, you know, create a mutually mutual smile between the ambassador and that person. So um, I can't I can't encourage enough. Right. Like, as, even though it can be expensive, don't get me wrong um, to be able to generate those opportunities. I, I'm a strong believer in in what that leads, not just for like immediate conversion, let's say if it's in store demo, but long-term affinity as well. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're doing basically everything you can relationally and capital wise to get those early adopters, right? Those yeah. people that are willing to put it on their shelves, take a chance, promote it. Uh, so that, you know, that gets a chance to get its own momentum. Did you mention, did you say that you guys did a deal with Barstool? Yeah. So we currently are have a digital pro digital programming with them. Um, I mean, you know, they've done, they have very, they've had a lot of success with alcohol beverage brands. So it only made sense to explore something with them. For and, sure. Um, so we've been able to have a, a growing program, you know, with them on a, on a national scale, working with everyone from, um, 
you know, uh, like Dave Portnoy down to uh, franchises of theirs uh, to be able to promote this product. And, um, you know, we, we leverage them as, like I said, they, they have a very, um, they got a huge following. following that at the end of the day is, is one that, um, you know, we've seen, we didn't know up front, but kind of tested it to see how they would respond to the product, but it ended up being one that, that we, we learned pretty quickly that we needed to continue to, to invest in them and invest in that, um, and that it was a very mutually beneficial relationship because they saw strong reception to that in their end. And so, um, yeah, continue to grow with them. Well done, man. In my mind, that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant strategy that, you know, like I said, their, their market's gotta be target for, for who you guys are looking for. Uh, well, this has been awesome, man. I'll just got one final question for you that I just, I'm an avid, avid reader and learner and always love hearing from other people. Uh, what is the, a book or books that have most impacted you? And it could be, business-wise or it could be just your life in general yeah so life in general i was a recent read uh last year um I, it's not an uncommon book per se but maybe for those out there that read it um green lights by matthew mcconaughey yes um i just thought the book was just it it was it kind of had to read certain pages a couple times but the insights right that came out of a guy I've always been a McConaughey fan because of how he's gone against the grain in an industry where everyone goes with the grain. Um, so um, in Hollywood, and I really, everything from, again, uh, speaking to like getting relative with life. And that's also, you mentioned about stress, right? Like not getting overly stressed about things you can't control. And it's been a, an epiphany for me personally, because I always was a person that would like get stressed about what that person's doing, what, what now even when I started this or was spirited this brand by what that brand's doing. So that, that was a huge I have to say it came out of green lights, but it was more of just one that was further reiterated um, through him. So green lights for sure um, on the personal level. And then business wise, I highly encourage everyone to read Obsessed by Emily Hayward. Hmm. Um, I think that book is awesome for brand building. Um, very real uh, lessons and case studies. And she's had a plethora of experience in, in working on brands and repositioning them as, as needed. And not just tiny brands, but massive brands like Airbnb's of the world. So um, I am, that's another book I can't recommend enough, especially if you're getting into not just creating, you know, a product, but you want to be able to make sure the brand is built in the right way behind it. That's called obsessed. Yeah. Obsessed. And who's the author? Emily Hayward. Emily Hayward. I've not, I've not read that. I'm going to check that out. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, green lights really certainly was one of my favorites, especially get, do, I did it on audible so that I got, you know, him to be able oh. to hear his voice. Uh, I should have thought of that. That would have been cool. Yeah. Oh, it was just, it was, it was so engaging. He's such a fantastic storyteller. And it also yeah. made you think, you know, about the red lights in life and how to, how to process those and the yellow lights and the green lights. And uh, he's, yeah, oh, that was, that was a great book. So I'm so glad. I think you're the first that's brought that up. That, I'm glad you did. Yeah. Yeah. That book meant a lot for sure. Awesome, man. Well, Gavin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here, sharing your story and your wisdom with us. This has been a fascinating conversation. Yeah, no, thank you, Drew. I appreciate it as always. And um, yeah, hope, hopefully, uh, you know, some insights came from it for sure. But even online, right? I'm, I'm uh, blessed to do what I do every day. So to talk about it is, is all the more awesome. So thank you for the opportunity. Awesome, bro. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results. Thank you.